Welcome back to another season of Conversations with Coley podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Miller, and I'm also the author of the book series, A Through Z Guide to Raising a Good Human, a book series that I wrote to help in the communication process between parents and children and why communication is important. This podcast highlights those deep conversations on subjects we think about, we talk about in passing, but we really don't dive deep. Spend time with us this season and listen to all the inspiring guests and panelists that we are going to have discussing a lot of those deep subjects like learning disabilities, grief, relationships, achieving the impossible or what seems to be the impossible. I invite you to join us on YouTube all summer long and then in the fall on Spotify and Amazon Music. And if you haven't already, please check us out on all those listening platforms and check out our website at conversationswithcoley.info. Welcome to episode one of season two of Conversations with Coley podcast. Today, I'm reconnecting with a Nasita School alum. I will tell you that the fact that we are recording this episode feels very nostalgic. Welcome to the show, Brian DeCora, Nasita High School graduating class of... Oh, man, 1991. Thanks for having me on. I didn't know we were going to go there. Wow, 91. <laughs> you know that was a what? long time I'm ago. I'm 95, so I was yeah. like, I know he's older than me a little bit, but I didn't know yeah. how. So that was the most tactful way. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, 1991. Proud of it. That was awesome. Class to come out of Nasita. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I always ask an icebreaker question before we dive into it. Do you have any fears? If so, name one. I sure do. Uh, the only one that really comes to mind, to be honest with you, is a fear of dying alone. You know, I spent a lot of time up in the mountains, and uh, I've had a close call up there. And when it comes to you know, the feelings and thoughts and emotions, you know, I've done everything to take care of, you know, my son and, and, and my ex-wife as mom and, you know, everything else in my life is just in place if something horrible were to happen. But just the thought of being there alone scares me a little bit. So uh, that's a that's a good <laughs> ice breaking question, a little bit of a deep answer. But but yeah, hopefully I love that you went deep with honest. it. Yeah, yeah, that's so honest. Thank you for sharing that. So we're going to take people through your incredible journey because I read your highlight reel when we emailed and you have had an incredible life. We come from a small town for people who probably don't know at the time of in 91 and 95, what was the population? 773. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And for my perspective, I thought, oh, I come from a small town. I'm not going to amount to, I'm not going to experience, I'm not going to see all these things. And you have proven that theory completely wrong. <laughs> so talk I've done about... my best. Yeah. I'm always looking for adventures and somehow I find them. <laughs> yes. Talk about being an Aceta boy, an Aceta student back then. Yeah, for sure. So when I think about home, when I think about Nasita, you know, I stay in touch with as many people as I can. And, you know, everyone's busy. It's hard to. Uh, but 
a small town where it's one stoplight, we have one subway, you know, restaurant, you know, so many people talk about they can't wait to leave Nasita. I can't wait to go back when I get a chance to go back because it just, you know, that feeling and sense of being home where you know every street, you know who lives in pretty much every house. And for us, you know, people talk about, you know, I didn't know everybody in my graduating class. We knew everybody in the entire school, <laughs> right? We're related to probably a third of them. We've been to the family reunions or Christmases and things like that. But, you know, for me, growing up in Nacita was, um, it was just a beautiful place because, you know, you're surrounded by nature. We have the National Wildlife Refuge there, which, you know, my dad worked at for 44 years. So there's hunting, there's fishing, you know, we had a small sports community, but we had a successful sports program. So there's a lot of uh, team camaraderie and just, you know, walking through town and, and being able to recognize everybody when you go to the quick trip, the gas station and uh, having them recognize you and saying hello is Pretty cool thing. I, I thought my grow, my experience growing up was fantastic. I loved Nasita. I still love Nasita. Yes, I have a lot of amazing memories with a lot of amazing people in Nasita. In growing up in those teenage angst years, though, I had those moments where I was like, I'm never going anywhere. This is a dead yeah. end town. Like you said, I want out. I now want to take my children and walk the streets and say, I did this here with this person. We, you know, did this and all that because, and to prove it all wrong, most everyone that I am connected to has done something amazing in their life. There's a lot of good people in the CETA and it got a lot of good people from the CETA, but yeah, you're, you're right. You, you know, just taking your kids back and walk the streets in the CETA. I think every Halloween, what our experience was like, you could go to any house, you know, mm -hmm. where I've lived since then, you can't go to every house, you cannot, and, and, and I recommend not going to every house, but back then in Nasita, you could, and I'm sure you still could today. And we could have homemade treats by Mrs. Strack. Oh my gosh, there's a trip down memory lane, yeah. oh man. Amazing. And the, and the soda from Ron from the liquor store. I mean, that oh, was. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Now I want to go. Now I want it to be Halloween. <laughs> now I want to go home. I do love Halloween, and maybe Nasita has something to do with that. So, did you go to college? I did. So, uh, I went to college at the University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point, and I got kicked out not once, not twice, but three times had a little bit too much of a good time when I went to school the uh, first time around and the second time around, I guess you'd say, but uh, later learned that I was going to limit my ability to pursue the career I wanted. If I didn't have that piece of paper that was checking a box to say I can finish, you know, a program. So went back to school, uh, actually went to class. When I went, I sat in the front instead of the back. And uh, finished an undergrad in, in business and then went on to get an MBA from the University of Wisconsin in Eau Claire. And, you know, being a three time strikeout kid that got kicked out of school, ironically, I also taught at one of the universities in Wisconsin. So uh, I went back and did what I had to to live the life that I wanted from a career perspective, because in my career, you do need a degree. And, and uh, it was checking a box and making sure it was done. So I do have a degree. But it took me a while to get there. It took me I seven years. But you're showing that, yeah, you got kicked out not once, not twice, but three times. But you went back, you sat in the front instead of the back, and you applied yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of it th that I didn't understand 
when I first went to college is you kind of have to have a relationship with the professor. They kind of have to know who you are, because if you're on that borderline between a, a C or a B, if they know you and they see your effort, you're going to get a B. But if they don't know who you are and you're just a number on a paper, you're probably going to get a C. And uh, I wish I would have known how important that was. And obviously sitting in the front helps with that <laughs> versus yeah. sitting in the back and obviously skipping did not help anything. <laughs> My record proves that. <laughs> yes. Do you think in today's world now, do you think that a college degree is still as important? Because now I'm raising college age kids who are coming to me saying, mom, that's a waste of money. I can just get a certificate. I can get into a business that doesn't require. Do you still think it's that like that's really important to because I feel like, yes, I did not get the out of high school, college experience. I went back at 35 um, yeah. and I loved college. I loved it. Yeah. And those professors love us older students <laughs> because they know we're paying for it and they know that we're not going to just mess around and go party. We're going to show up to class. We want to learn. Yeah. Right. So they, they love it when it's non-traditionals, you know, come back. But uh, to answer your question about how important it is, um, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. It's not as important for the career that I fell into. My career was in hospitality. I ran casinos for a living. And, um, you know, the way that I, you know, there are certain career paths within the industry that you need a degree, mm -hmm. an accountant, the lawyers, right? There are certain ones where you, you need them. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it comes to the people that were most successful, it wasn't reliant on having a degree. And, and the, the example I give, because it's hospitality, is uh, I'd rather hire the person that's got the experience. And how I would equate it to my team is that if you wanna go out and build your dream house, you, you've saved up your whole life, you're gonna build a dream house, whether it's in the mountains, on the ocean, you know, wherever, you, you've got your seed money and you go out looking for the, a contractor to build it for you, are you going to go to the person that's fresh out of college that got has the best degree from the best university? Or are you going to go to Buck who lives down the street, has been there for 30 years, building dream homes for everybody else that never even went to high school? The answer is obvious, right? I mean, you want somebody with that experience. So I think it depends on, you know, the type of career that you're going into. Certificates are all you need in some, you know, things. If you're going to be an electrician, that's another path. And if you're going to be you know, there's so many great careers out there, you know, because as long as you're happy and challenged in doing what you enjoy doing, that's what matters. It doesn't matter if you've got a degree that supports it. But when you do need a degree, you need a degree. <laughs> and make sure you do it the right way. And obviously, if you can get it in a shorter amount of time, instead of my seven year program for undergrad degree, that is always recommended. But but yeah, it depends on the situation, but my reliance on degrees has uh, reduced and, and eroded a little bit over time, but um, there's still value in it, but depending on what you what your career field is, uh, your, the importance could be something different. Yeah. What kept you from giving up? When you got kicked out first time, second time, even third time, especially third time, what kept you from giving up and saying, screw it? Ooh, that's a really good question. No one has ever asked me that question before. Um, I think the first and second time that I went back, it was more about 
that inner feeling of just feeling I need to do this. But the third time, you know, like when, when people quit smoking or they give up drugs, you know, the, you know, sometimes they do it. They're just sick of being sick. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I was sick of looking around and seeing everyone that I went to college with, with their degrees, with their careers, starting families. I thought I am way behind here. So the third time that I reapplied to get back into school, the university sent me a letter and, you know, they did the first two times, but I didn't keep them. The third time I kept it and I put it on the wall and it was a, it was a daily reminder of don't take this for granted. You may not get a fourth letter, keep it up until you finish your degree. And I think it was that daily reminder of this may be your last chance that motivated me to get it done. And um, it's, you know, I don't know, part of it's, you want to make your family proud. You want you want to be on par with your friends and, you know, so there's all kinds of reasons, but I think that daily reminder that was right above my school desk uh, was enough to keep me focused and going to school because, you know, I do have ADHD, so my mind goes all over, which you're probably hearing in this broadcast, but I needed something to focus on, and that's okay. what focused me to, to finish it. Do it right the, the third time. Third time was a charm, for sure. Hey, they say third time's the charm. I'm all about it. Talk about finding out about your IQ status, if you don't mind. Yeah, so you would think being kicked out of school three times, kicked out of college three times, would be an indication of you know lack of intelligence or lack you know lack of it something. Mm-hmm. Clearly, something was lacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly for me, I think it was discipline. Well, it was about ten years later. Uh, my assistant at the time had posted something on Facebook about her daughter having ADHD, and and I thought I need to learn more about this because I didn't know that I had it. I did the, you know, free test on, you know, whatever on the internet, you get what you pay for, right? Mm-hmm. And it just, you have extreme ADHD, your life is over, you're not going to have a career, <laughs> you can't relate with people. And, oh my just gosh. Just go hang it up and, you know, get a beer. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So I, I went and I, I checked the second one, same thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it, it was a Sunday. Uh, went and got another one from a more reputable place, whether it was WebMD or something like that. And it said, you are likely on the high spectrum level of ADHD. So uh booked an appointment went in and did all the interviews and you know they started doing these tests and uh the last test lasted four hours now four hours for somebody that's hyperactive or has adhd that is a prison sentence it was hard to sit there that long um but what i didn't know is that the typical adhd test is only like an hour hour and a half something like that they incorporated uh an iq test and when i finished you know, they, they bring you back a week later, whatever it was. And they said, well, you do have ADHD and you, know, you, you have a little bit of OCD, but you're, you're coping well and all this stuff. And they said, well, how do you think you did on the IQ part of the test? And then I said, I don't know. I've never taken a test like that before, but it was it was grueling and I want to get out of there. And they said, well, how do you think you did? And, and I didn't know, but they started going over the results and, and um, she said, well, I don't. I said, well, what, what's the result? She goes, well, I didn't score it and I don't. Uh, I also don't want to have you leaving here feeling like you have to live up to a title or live in a box. So I'm not going to tell you. So I didn't ask any questions. Uh, and it was like five years later, I was asking one of my team members, one of my executives, because he's probably the smartest guy I've ever known. One of those guys could either 
cure cancer or be the end of humanity. <laughs> he was just that smart. Yeah. Uh, I, I asked, I, I said, you, you do it? oh my gosh, you never know, right? I mean, it's it's one or the other. He's not going to be in the middle. <laughs> He's going to be one or the other. And um, he said, well, what's your score? And I said, I don't know. So we agreed to go at that point and get our scores together. And uh, that's when I found out that it's actually in the top 4% of the world. So when you think about people that don't finish a degree or they get kicked out or their grades aren't great, it may not be a reflection of intelligence. It may be a, a lack of uh, commitment or discipline or the right teaching style or the right coursework. It could be anything because if, if that data is true that I do have a high IQ and I still got kicked out of college three times, it clearly had to be something else. And yeah. you know, from my perspective, it was, it was definitely something else. I was more committed to fun than it was to finishing my degree. Yeah, your focus was just one, the way it wasn't supposed to be to that spectrum, the fun spectrum. Exactly. <laughs> and we're from Wisconsin and we know, and we're from Nasita. I feel like we know how to have fun and like For sure. fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we, we got into cars and drove out into car, cow fields for fun, you know, we would drive yeah. around and, and shine lights in the woods looking for deer. That's yeah. if you can have fun doing that, you can have fun doing anything. Yeah, or uh, donuts on the ice in the middle of the lake. Definitely, <laughs> that's home. <laughs> yeah. So, what's your work life like? Yeah, sure. So, uh, work life. I I started my career in the casino industry. You know, this is when I still didn't have my degree. I was kicked out of school three times. Um, I got asked if I wanted to come in and try it out because at the time I, I'd won a bronze medal in kickboxing when I when I was younger and in, in, in college and I was a bouncer to nightclub. So when I got called to see if I wanted to be a security officer at the first casino that I worked, at, I said, sure, that sounds like fun, you know, like crowd control and concerts. Well, I showed up my first day little do you know that the average age is 62 and a half and you don't need a kickboxer to <laughs> get those people and under control yeah so uh it was it was definitely a a different career type than what i thought it might be but when i got in i just loved it you know there people go to casinos looking to have fun and, and there's a lot of great energy there so i was a guy that worked on the graveyard shift at a little casino in wisconsin and just started inching my way up. And, and when I got an opportunity to learn something new, I took it. I didn't always get paid more. I, uh, at one point I was working six jobs and only getting paid for one of them. Because for me, it was an opportunity to learn because there's not a university that will teach you those skills. So made my way up and, and before you knew it, I was a, a CEO of a casino and, and you get recruited by you know these headhunters around the country. And uh, fortunately, I worked with enough of the best teams in the country that I was offered the best opportunities. And, uh, you know, what I found is that if you hire the right people, give them the right tools, tell them you believe in them, support them and hold them accountable while celebrating their successes, they're going to make you really, really successful. So thankfully, I was really, really successful. And to the point where three years ago, uh, I came home to be a dad, I, you know, I, I was at a Kobe, Kobe Bryant's funeral, if you know basketball and Kobe Bryant. And uh, all the speeches were with him were not about him as a basketball player. We all know what kind of basketball player yeah. he was, but what kind of a man he was, what yeah. kind of a father he was, and how committed he was to making sure his, his kids were set up. And he was an and, example. Uh, he was an example. And, and you know, you always hear 
the stories about people on their deathbed, none of them say, you know, I wish I had more money or I wish I had a better title. They said, mm -hmm. I wish I would have spent more time with family, especially kids when they were little. So at the time, my son was 11 and, um, you know, I was living in Seattle. He was in Seattle, but I was commuting back and forth to San Diego. And obviously, tough questions, you know, don't always wait until the weekend when you're home. And, and he's wouldn't always be comfortable sharing things over, you know, FaceTime or, you know, whatever. So made the decision to go home by his birthday, which is in the summertime. We just celebrated a couple of days ago and uh, I was home and I haven't regretted that decision for a single second since then. That was a little over three years ago. So that's yep. my career path and that's where my career is now. Someday I may, I may go back. I still get a lot of calls from recruiters asking if I'm interested in, you know, running some pretty cool casinos. But at this point, it's all about my son. You know, yeah. we, we get to spend those quiet times at home, whether it's playing basketball outside or just watching him pet his dog and play with his dog. Uh, those are the moments you don't get back. So that is my career now, watching my son grow and trying to teach him how to be a, a good man. I love that. And you have gone on an adventurous path from what I can see from Facebook. But before we get into how adventurous you are, let's talk about some of the invitations you received in your, I'm, I'm uh, assuming from your job. Yeah, so incredible things. <laughs> yeah, so for a kid from Nasita to have been able to do any of those fun things, you know, because you know we all have our highlight reels. We all go through things privately that people don't know about. So, you know, in sharing that, I want to make sure my life has not always been roses and butterflies. You know, I've yeah. I've skinned my knees and I've made mistakes and I still make mistakes, but the highlight reel is kind of fun. So some of the cool things, I mean. It depends on the world that you're in, but uh, like having gone to a Super Bowl with one of the NFL teams, traveling with those pro sports teams, throwing out a first pitch at a Major League Baseball game, that was really cool. Did you um, bounce I mean, it? No, <laughs> I, I actually, I practiced for probably a week straight and my arm was legit sore after that, but I played baseball in high school. And, yes. Um, I threw I threw a solid strike, and even when the ball hit the mitt, it had a nice whack to it. Ooh. The catcher kind of shook his hand. You know, he's playing along with me a little bit, but the yeah. promo team was there, and they said, "Wow, that was that was actually really good." So I've got a video somewhere, but um, yeah, I, I didn't bounce. I do have friends that have bounced it, but I did not <laughs> bounce it. Thankfully, I wouldn't. The, the boys wouldn't let me live that one down if I did. That. <laughs> but yeah, lots of cool invitations. I mean. You know, if if you're in the military, I mean, I've I've gone shooting guns at the range with guys from SEAL Team Six. I've shot with the FBI SWAT team. Just extraordinary, That's amazing opportunities. Yeah, that uh, I I kind of have to pinch myself to, and say I can't believe this is my life because I'm just an ordinary guy from a little town in Wisconsin. How does this happen? And you know, you you're you're leading this extraordinary life, extraordinary. So. I've just been watching recently some of the excursions you've been going on. What got you into mountain climbing? Because that in itself is, and to me, it's insane, but I'm a, I have a terrifying fear of heights. I've never climbed Pete and Well Rock. Never. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Too many okay, horror so, stories. <laughs> for sure. I have a cousin that fell off Pete and Well Rock. It was horrible. We yeah. all know people that have fallen. Yeah. Right. So the journey. So 
I've always been an outdoor person. You know, my dad, you know, worked at the wildlife refuge. So I spent a lot of time outside fishing, hunting, you know, sports, you know, whatever. And uh, when I moved to Washington about five years ago, I saw pictures of friends that had gone out in the mountains. I'm like, I can't, what, what a badass, you know? They, I mean, it, to me, they're just climbing up the side of a mountain. Well, first time I went, I didn't realize there's actually trails that you can follow to get to the top. So it's not like they're just going out mountaineering, that there's, they're following trails. But um, when I first started, obviously I started on, on the small mountains and uh, it would just be to go outside once every three months or something like that, accomplish something hard and, and come down. Well, when I got, when I came home from my career, um, when I wouldn't have time with my boy, whether he's at school or with his mom, um, I started going out on longer, you know, hikes into the mountains and bigger climbs and taller mountains. And um, it just got to the point where I found one, my, all of my numbers, like my doctor would say, your numbers are all improving. You know, what are you doing? And to be honest with you, I wasn't watching my diet that much more, but I was exercising a ton. Yeah. And uh, what I found with the mountains, you know, obviously when you get to the top of a mountain, there's that feeling of accomplishment, but there's just a peace there. There's a, there's a quiet and solitude. And it's almost like meditation when you get to the top and you sit there and you're alone. Yeah. You, you don't, there's not even birds up there. I mean, you're just sitting at the top of this mountain. And um, I've also realized that, you know, on the, on the drive there, I may have some grievances uh, or, or I'm upset about somebody that did something or said something or uh, whatever, where I just carry some type of grudge. But by the time I would come down off the mountain, the endorphins kick in. All of a sudden, I'm not mad at anybody. I just want to hug everyone. I don't care about what people say about me or, you know, politics or whatever. So um, it's, it's, it's been meditative as much as it's been a wellness journey for me and maybe even a spiritual one uh, or whenever I do offer prayers for my loved ones, it's usually at the top of a mountain. So that's where, that's where it started. And that's kind of where it has evolved to, but uh, you know, certainly the pictures that you see on Facebook um, I don't share them all. I only share a couple of the really good They're ones. They're breathtaking. They're breathtaking, but I wish you could see it in person because it is, it's, it's probably five times better. It's just yeah. hard to replicate how beautiful it is, but wow. yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're, you're along for the ride on that journey. I try not to share too many pictures and videos because it can be a lot because I do it all the time and some of it can be I repetitive. I think they're all me. That's just me. I, I really kind of connect with connecting with seeing our world while we're here because that to me is what's important not constantly just running the hamster wheel yeah for sure and and you know part of it you know when you when we think about our kids and you, you talk about your kids and obviously I, I i'm very dedicated to my son um he he's 15 now and when he was eight or nine when me and his mom would would, would ask him what do you want for your birthday what do you want for christmas uh he started at that age saying that he values experiences more than things. So what a gift for a parent to have a, a child that feels that way, especially if we instilled that into them, yeah. uh, because it truly is, you know, you, you can't take it with you, you know, whatever, whether it's a cool car or, or a fun gadget, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But for him to say he values experiences over things, when we ask him, what do you want for your birthday? That is a huge win for any parent proud parent moment across the board 
across the board. Yeah. So hopefully that helped contribute to to his mindset. I don't know what it is, but so very proud of him for for having that yeah. mindset at such an early age because you know I cannot say that I had the right perspective for a long time. Yes, I actually have started to notice because I do have younger kids that they're quite insightful and they're quite smart about things. And they've taught me things that I was like, at your age, I was a hot mess or not even in that <laughs> space. Yes, no question about it. Absolutely. Yes. At some point, the student becomes the teacher. And I think it happens at an earlier age for them because there are a lot of times where my son will share something and I'm like, where did you even learn that? And, you know, I used to verify, you know, I would do some research to verify. I don't verify it anymore. If he tells me something, I believe it. <laughs> Their <laughs> access information is, is, is stunning and they are very good at research. Yes, absolutely. So how many mountains have you climbed? Oh my gosh. I don't know. A lot. Don't know a lot. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, oh boy. You know, because some I re I do repeat, you know, when I need to, um, you know, get in shape for a really big mountain, like I just did a, a really big mountain here uh, last week, like that one, I would climb the same mountain uh, three or four times a week, just because I have a heavy backpack on, you know, getting ready for a big expedition. So, uh, but individual mountains, I would say it's got to be 50 to 60, maybe 70, something like that. But for home, how many times have I stood at the top of a mountain? Uh, a couple hundred. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's amazing. Is a lot. Yeah, thank you. It's it's fun. It's a fun hobby. And, you know, it's not a cheap one. People like because I used to I was a member at a golf course before that. And, you know, you pay the huge fees and, you know, it, it just adds up. And when I when I resigned my membership because I, I enjoyed being in the mountains more, people are like, well, I bet it's a lot cheaper than I'm like, if you've seen the price tag on the equipment that you need in the mountains, it is not a cheap hobby you know, at all, you know, yes, you can go on the smaller ones without equipment, but to be safe and to actually enjoy the experience and, and make sure you've got what you need when you're there, it is not a cheap endeavor. Yeah, and you need to be sure you're prepared because I live by the Appalachian Trail. Yes. So okay. to wow. hike the entire trail, I live at the beginning. So to hike the entire thing, I think a girl told me on the cheap was six grand. Yeah. And this oh, is yeah. a few years ago. And I said, six grand. I'm never doing the AP. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't say never. Just yeah. Say, I'm not committed to it now, but we'll see what happens. But, but by, oh, by the way, so when I did go, so I went back, unfortunately, I was back home for a funeral a couple of months ago. And um, I went out to Petenwell Rock and I thought, I, I need to go check this out because everybody that I know has climbed it at some point. And I'm like, I got to go and you figure this out. So I went out there and um, I'm like, I, I got to be careful. You know, you know, if I'm home for a funeral, I fall off. You know, that's it's going to be a double whammy on the family, you know. Yeah. So um, I went. But but I, I finally got up there. It took me six minutes. I thought it was much more difficult. <laughs> than that. But I guess my experience of climbing the big mounds out here, um, you know, changes perspective oh, a, a little bit. Walk. But I finally did. it. Yeah. Yeah. Can I <laughs> but it, was, it was cool to be up there. Finally. Yeah. Can I ask, because you mentioned your cousin was the one that fell off. I believe that's the one I remember hearing about, maybe. <laughs> did that make you fearful to climb at all ever? Or did you just kind of go, I'm still going to, I'm still going to do it because I want to. Yeah. 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 My, my cousin is uh, Jamie Murphy and mm -hmm. uh, he, he passed away um, about a month ago. 
two months ago. And um, it was always in the back of my mind that he had fallen. And I remember the shockwave that it sent through the family when he did. And, you, know, you know, it's the game of telephone, especially back then where you don't have social media, which right. you know, some people say that makes it better, makes it worse. All you had to do was go to an Asita bar, I'm sure. Somebody was going to tell you. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> always an easy place to get it. But uh, I just remember wondering is he okay is he gonna be okay and how bad was it and and i still don't have a full understanding of exactly how it happened but it was enough to always stay with me because that was that was 20 30 years ago that that he had fallen yeah. and um you know for me it was always a reminder of you know be extra careful and I, i'm always one of those people that, that i'm pretty risk averse now that i'm a father now anyway but every time that i go into a sketchy place literally i would think about him and his fall and what it did to the family and they helped me make better decisions i don't always make the right ones but i will say it helped me make better <laughs> decisions have you ever experienced a fall or had a dangerous situation happen to you in your climbing i have so it was a little little under two years ago i went someplace called the enchantments and if, if folks look that up it's a 20 mile end to end journey through the most beautiful mountains i've ever seen um it's up in the north cascades a little bit closer towards canada if you've seen the new top gun movie top gun 2 maverick that's where they they filmed a lot of the jet scenes in the winter time because of all tall mountains and all of that so it was up there and uh it's a very long story but the but to try and cut it short uh, we had gone left where we should have gone right it was uh, my friend from miami and i were going up and uh, we got cliffed out. We, you know, there's no cell service up there. We got cliffed out, you know, which means you can see the bottom. You just can't get there because you'd have to jump off a cliff to get there. So that was a that was one of those situations where um, we overcommitted to the wrong path. We just thought, ah, we're tough enough. We can figure it out. We'll make it to the bottom. We know we have to go down. Well, we uh, we got out over our skis a little bit, and and out, you know. This is one of those things where it goes a little bit between that spiritual and I, I don't know how to describe it, but literally on the, on the last mount, because we had to stay there overnight. Um, I had to make fire to keep myself warm. I had a leg injury. I mean, we were bumped and bruised, bleeding all over the place because we were making tough decisions to slide down rock faces because we, we know we have to get down, right? We can't get back up because of my leg injury, but um, that we slept overnight i made a fire because it was raining i was shivering it was it was 30 something degrees and it was raining that's that's the optimal way to get hypothermia mm. so i made a fire stayed you know stayed up all night to make sure that the fire didn't go out the next morning we went out to one of the cliff faces and i was sitting there thinking well if this is my final resting place at least i got a good one right because it's just beautiful mountains everywhere what a and positive thing to think well, you've got to do, you've got to keep your mind in it somehow and stay in the fight, you know, somehow. But at some point, you also have to reserve yourself to saying, well, if this is where it's going to be, at least it's a beautiful run, right? Yeah. So I took my phone out to take a picture. I'm like, I don't think anyone's ever going to find my body here. But if they do, I want my family to know that this is where I'm resting. And I took out the phone to take a picture and I had one bar with that one x on it and i you know shook my head a little bit and you squinted my head and i'm like sure enough. so i had the phone number saved for the ranger station 
made a phone call. It went right through. And as soon as she answered, I started, I was a freight train of information, my name, my location, because I did have an old school GPS, <clears throat> excuse me, gave the GPS location, <clears throat> our condition, where we're at, you know, out of food, out of water, all this stuff. She goes, okay, it's recorded, slow down, you know, tell me again. We had a five minute conversation. The phone never cracked once. There was no, it was, it was like we were standing next to each other uh, in the middle, in the middle of, of the, the most Wi-Fi connected building in America. And she goes, how are you getting a cell phone signal? I said, I basically asked God to give me one chance to get out of here. She goes, there is zero cell signal up there. You know that. And I said, I didn't know that, but I guess Sounds now like I've got to live to do something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So if you've ever seen uh, pictures, you know, that I have a tattoo on my left wrist. And it is actually the GPS location where I had to sit and make a fire to stay alive overnight. So, um, so that I could always remember that perspective, which is, you know, I don't need fancy cars, fancy homes, cool stuff. I need the health and happiness of my family. I need a shelter. I need warmth. I need water. That's it. So that's why it's on my wrist so that I see it whenever something is, is starting to, you know, bother me or, or, or getting me frustrated. I'll go back to that simple equation. I need four things, health and happiness of friends, right? And family, shelter, heat, water. That's it. Amazing. Amazing. So how can we get more people to hear that message without them having to be in a mountainous area, having to survive? <laughs> yes. I don't want anybody to go where I went. That was a <laughs> suffer fast. Let my example uh, be the example you avoid. So that's a that's the million dollar question, to be honest with you. And the fact that you ask it is, it, you know, is evidence that you are tuned into knowing what is the meaning of life and how do you get out of it after getting the most from it. And um, I don't know. I think everybody has to hit not necessarily a bottom, but hit something that gives them a perspective that tells them not just what's important in life, but what is the most important thing, right? Because all kinds of things are important, but what's the most important thing? Health and happiness of your friends and your loved ones and your family. And when you really start, I think, I don't know if it's maturity or you're getting older or life experiences or enough disappointments where you think, you know what, that really didn't matter, right? And, and you know, wherever you get it, whether it's from books or podcasts or inspirational stories or memes on Facebook, you know, find what's most important and really lean on that rather than the little things that you wish you had that you really don't need. But I don't know if, if you've got the equation for it, I want it. I want it because I want to be able to share it without, um, without having to sound like I'm standing on a soapbox, you know, with my, you know, experience in the mountains um, because it, I'd rather give people a shortcut rather than go the long way that I got to get there because um, it took me too long. That's yeah. one thing I'll say for sure. Yeah, I'm hoping that this episode, maybe it'll be enough to hear like somebody uh, is living and breathing from a small town in middle America in the 90s doing the things. For let's sure. talk about your most recent climb. I mean, let's face it, you and I are not young folks, right? <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, let me just say, I don't think that I'm old, but I work Definitely. in hospitality part-time and those children that I work with love to tell me I'm elderly. 
<laughs> and I was thinking, wait a minute, my friends, my Facebook family, and my Nasita alum, they are doing these amazing things. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. I, there would be less kids walking around if they called me elderly. I'll tell you that. So, yeah, well, that's funny. Yeah, so this, um, the climb I did this last, so people always ask me like, what, what's your goal? What do you want to do? And I just, I, I tell them for me, it's, it's about exercise and meditation. That's why I do it. And, oh, and uh, it's occupying time and all that stuff. And like, well, what about this hike, this hike last Memorial day. And by the way, that one where I almost died, uh, I went back the next year and conquered it solo. You know, I, I'm just like, I need to go and make that wrong right. I need to take maps. I need to take everything I need to make sure I do it successful this time. Uh, now I carry a satellite communicator. So no matter where I'm at in the world, I can I can get help if I need it. But, yeah. um, you know, that was that was so you you know, putting that one to from that and said, I'm going to do it again. You didn't let it stop you and say, I'm not going back to that particular mountain again. Nope. No, once it, once my body healed and it, last year, I, or the year that it happened, I couldn't do it anymore because the blizzards had set in, you know, the mountains are, are just the, they will kill you. You're not, you're not meant to be there in, in the winter time. So I, I had to wait, but I had to heal my body anyway. So yeah, after that, I went in fully prepared and um, did the entire 20 miles in 10 and a half hours or something like that, but um, had to, had to put that to bed. Right. So after that, I did Mount St. Helens, you know, growing up. Yeah. I remember being taught about that and that, you know, the ash circled the globe like two or three times. I was afraid of volcanoes. I thought volcanoes, piranha, and quicksand were going to be much bigger issues through my life than what they actually had. Quicksand and the volcano. I remember the same thing. Sure. <laughs> yes. So when I heard that you could actually climb to the top of that thing, I'm like, sure. So one of my friends at, reached out and said, hey, I got an extra permit. Do you want to do it? So I did it. And that, I think at the top, that's like 8,000 feet above sea level, something like that, maybe a little bit more. Uh, but it wasn't as difficult as I thought it was going to be. And everyone started to ask, well, what's next? Well, the most treacherous, treacherous and challenging and difficult and highest point in the lower 48 is Mount Rainier. And about a month ago, I had seen an ad saying, hey, a spot just opened up. If you want to go up with an expedition team, you know, various dates are available. And I looked into it and I'm like, you know what? This is a date that fits into my schedule. I didn't tell anybody about it. You know, maybe I, well, I guess I told a couple of people because I had to train for it, right? Because um, it's 14,410 feet at wow. the summit. And I committed to it internally, but I didn't want to put it out there so that if I didn't make it, whether it was from weather or physical limitations or whatever, um, I didn't want to set myself up for that, that failure, I guess. So I trained quietly for, you know, about a month, but I mean, I've been climbing mountains for, you know, a couple of years now. So it's pretty much acclimated to it, but, uh, yeah, on Friday of last week, uh, June 30th at six Oh seven in the morning, nobody in America in the lower 48 states, states stood at a higher point than I did. This little kid from Nasita stood at the highest point in lower 48. So that was a pretty cool moment. And, you know, people have asked, you know, what was it like? And, and, yeah. it, and the biggest thing that I remember from it is texting my loved ones, the words, I did it. Ah. That's it. You know, that, that's what hit me the hardest. It's what hits me. It still gets me emotional now 
to say I did it because it's it's not a friendly environment <laughs> at the top of yeah, those glaciers and, and those mountains. And to say that you you did it, um, uh, there's just a magical feeling that those three words um, give you whenever you send it to somebody that you care about, just to say, I did it. Yes. Describe, if you can, what it's like to make that climb. Like, is it something that you do all at once? Is it in stages? What is yeah. it like? Are people dropping out as they go along? Like, how is that? What does that look like? Yeah. So this particular expedition is a two-day climb. Some people do it in one day, but um, you are gaining 9,000 feet in elevation. So, you know, a mile is what, 5,280. So it's a little under two miles going up, but it's also about 20 miles round trip. So, I mean, it is a large venture and of physical exhilaration and just discipline to get to the top. So you stop at the middle, uh, you try and sleep, you can't, you're too excited. You know, you, if you've not slept at 10,000 feet, you, it's different. Like my, my oxygen saturation was down at 90%, I think. So, you know, 10% lower than what it normally is. And uh, you get a headache, you know, you get less appetite, you get less appetite, you force yourself to eat because you need the energy to get up and go because you burn, I think it's like 10,000 calories, you know, you know, on this, but the lower part of the mountain wasn't, you know, harsh or anything. It was just beautiful. You know, you're above everything, but that second half is uh, something completely different. The, the face of the mountain, you know, it's all glacier. Uh, some of it, you have to climb rock. Uh, some of it's mixed, you know, that you have to go through. But literally, you, you, you've got an ice axe, you've got harnesses around your waist, you know, for climbing, uh, you're roped in with other folks, and um, it's needed because of about, I would say 60 to 70% of that upper mountain, if you, if you fall, and I did fall, and you slide down the mountain, uh, it's almost certain death, whether you, whether you go into a crevasse or you go off the edge of a cliff or whatever, it is it is a high stakes game for sure and um, as you're getting higher you've got less oxygen in your body you get more uh confused and maybe a little bit dizzy and wobbly and nauseous and um it's it's um it's beautiful but people aren't meant to be there yeah. <laughs> you are reminded you know who is in charge if the mountain decides you are not going to make it to the top that day you are not going to make it to the top that day whether it's you know uh, avalanches or, or weather wide out, you know, strong winds, but, but yeah, people are dropping off uh, pretty frequently. Our group had 17 to start, only 10 of us made it up. And, you know, in talking to the expedition team and the guides and, and the people that have been doing it for forever, they said, we've given up trying to predict who's going to make it and who's not, because there are two people. One was a, a really strong collegiate athlete that didn't make it up. And there was another guy that um, he looked like he was going to run circles around me. And there are two girls, one from San Francisco, one from Washington, DC that had just climbed a couple of 14,000, you know, foot mountains. And I thought they're going to do, they were the first two to drop out and oh. they were in extraordinary shape. So, yeah. um, you know, you, you just don't know what, what's going to get somebody to the top. I, I started getting the feeling of frostbite, you know, being from Wisconsin, we know what that feels like, <laughs> right? Whether it's the bus stop, or you're know, ice fishing or out hunting, yeah. you know that feeling. And getting and, uh, cold, it it affects you faster if you've had it. it. It affects you a lot faster, yeah. So when 
I think it was about the last three hours that I had that feeling oh, wow. <laughs> in my toes that I might be getting frostbite. And I started doing these exercises where you curl your toes with every step. Well, when you do that, then my calf started to cramp. You know, so the last two hours I was in pain, but I wasn't going to stop. You know, it, it's, you know, it's thinking back to, you know, my, my school and getting back in and I'm not going to not finish this time. And, and, and all those things, unless physically or the mountain just decides I'm not going to make it to the top, we're not, none of us are going to make it up to the top. I'm going to get there. And it was a little bit worrisome because my toes did get a little bit, a little bit frosty and my fingers got a little bit cold, but um, I made a decision that I'm not going to stop unless I absolutely have to, to save, you know, a toe or a finger or whatever. Um, it was, it was really difficult, but I made it. Yay. Yeah. Anytime when you're doing that, does your brain try to take over into that automatic? I'm going to try to keep you safe response, give you anxiety that you have to fight through. Do you have that problem? Did you ever experience that? Nope. Um, I nope. That's a really good question. So um, my mind and my body and my instincts have always had it from being situationally aware to, you know, staying calm in, in tragic situations like the Las Vegas shooting. I was there that night oh, wow. and, you know, you know, stayed calm and, you know, led people down the right path, you know, as far as, you know, an, an exit route to, to safety. So I've, I've always had that. And, you know, on the mountain, I, none of that really kicked in, you know, you do have to train for it and you have to, you know, do things with your breathing and, you know, you have to be mindful of when you're changing, when, when you're changing directions, which hand you keep your ice axe in. There are so many things you have to do. Your mind is always working, but I'll tell you, from the discipline standpoint, um, if you've ever had those dreams where you either have to run or you have to fight and, and everything is in slow motion and you've got no strength, you've got no power, that's the feeling those last couple thousand feet when you get up to 14,000. You know your feet have to go one step in front of the other to go up. And at the beginning, you're like, okay, I'm going to go a mile, then I'm going to take a little, a little rest. Here, it was take five steps, stop, rest, do pressure breathing. And it was three steps, <laughs> stop, wow. rest, pressure breath. And, it, you know, someone was a one. So um, it was just one of those things where, um, you know, for people that overcome and climb a mountain, and whether that mountain is physical or spiritual, emotional, career-related, whatever mountain it is that you're climbing, um, you, you take it a mile at a time, or you take it 10 steps at a time, or you take it one step at a time, but you just have to keep moving forward, whether it's a mountain, or it's something you have to get over, you know, personally from your childhood or an existing issue, whether it's relationship, career, whatever, just keep moving forward. And I think that's the discipline that helped me make it to the top of that mountain and a couple of other mountains, because um, you can't do it on autopilot. You really have to tighten up your bootstraps and keep your feet moving forward one step at a time. I love that. That's perfect. That is perfect. And that it says it all right there. So as a Gen X person, do you have any advice for Gen Z? Because we looked to people to guide us, to give us advice, to figure it out as we were growing up. So here comes Gen Z. Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be the same type of advice that um, 
that I give to my son, whether it's in sports or what he's going to do in his career or, or whatever he's doing. Um, you're, you're going to get further with good people around you. Uh, be a good communicator. Be a respectful communicator. You know, be a team player uh, because two minds is better than one. You know, three is better than two. Um, work with the people around you. Learn every opportunity that, that you get and just be humble. You will never know it all. Yeah. The more that you know, the less you'll think that you know, and the more your hunger will grow to learn more. And uh, I think that it can apply to any generation because with the millennials and, and the Gen Zs, they have an extraordinary amount of information at their fingertips. And they are really, really good at finding it. They're the best data miners, um, in my opinion, by generation. I agree. Uh, but they're not always disciplined in putting it together and telling a story or being proficient at using it to make better decisions. And when you include more include more people, especially people that inspire you or make you smarter, um, you will be able to do more with the information that you're getting than if you don't have others to bounce it off of. That's where a lot of our best ideas come from is having a conversation. You know, you, you learn from the right people that are around you and just like in this conversation, every conversation they will have, I think is going to help them get there. But they were going to find their own path. They're going to learn it at their own at their own pace. Because one thing I've learned, especially teaching and coaching my son in sports, is that he is not always going to listen to his dad. He's going to listen to the people he wants to listen to. Yes. And eventually he will understand, um, I hope at some point, that he will circle back to like we all did that. Uh, you know, there are certain parental figures and aunts and uncles and elders from our lives that we should have been listening to all along. Uh, that just wasn't as fun. Yes. <laughs> when we were being told, pick up your room. Uh, that hopefully he'll bounce around to that. And he started to a little bit, but a lot of kids, you know, look to others first because they're so used to us, you know, giving them things to do rather than things to learn. Yes. Uh, hopefully they come back on us. And I feel that they will, because I know from my parental journey, my kids have shocked me sometimes. I think that I'm talking to a brick wall, and then I hear them say to one of their peers something that I taught them, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yep. They're sponges, but they usually absorb the wrong thing. Yes. So when they bring out something that you're proud that they remembered, it's a little bit of a surprise the first few times yeah. it happens. Yes, I agreed. What does the future hold for you, Brian? Boy, I hope a lot more health and happiness, not just for, you know, my loved ones, but hopefully for me too. You know, my my goal in life is to be balanced and in balance between, you know, physical happiness, emotional happiness, and, and just helping my son learn the things that I wish I had been taught at an earlier age. And you know, and he tells me, you know, I, I appreciate, he goes, I really do appreciate what you teach me. It's not always fun in the moment, but I do appreciate it. And um, I hope that's true of, of not just him, but uh, the people that I, I still mentor, you know, people across the country that, that we work together, they, they were in a formal mentorship program, or they're just, you know, young tribal people, because I'm, I'm a tribal member of, you know, tribal Wisconsin. And, um, you know, I, I try to help give them those same teachings that I didn't have, you know, when I was young and going up and it was the guy with the potential that wasn't, you know, met yet. And I hope I can make a difference that way. Cause 
I think, you know, with the time that we've got here, that's the way that you make the biggest difference is, is helping other people believe in themselves because you believe in them and you make their lives a little bit easier because you've helped give them a shortcut that you didn't have. Uh, and, and I hope that I'm able to do that and maybe inspire a person or two along the way that says, just because you're from a small town or you had humble beginnings, because that's what I had, that's what you, that's, that's us, uh, doesn't mean you can't make it to the fun parties, right? You're, if you're good to people and, and, and you're someone that, that shows up with energy and enthusiasm, that uh, you'll get invited to some of those cool opportunities, you know, like, like we have. And um, hopefully I'm an example of that, that will someday inspire somebody to say, you know what, just because I'm from a small town or I have humble beginnings doesn't mean I can't go, you know, do the cool things that I see other people doing on Instagram because Instagram is a facade. It's just a highlight reel. You know, yes. you know people just post the cool stuff out there. We all have our own journey and we all have our own dramas, uh, but it's fun to look at the other, you know, highlight reels to see, you know, what's out there, not to compare ourselves to other people, but just to see what's out there. And that's part of the reason I share most of the things that I do is, is to show if, if this could happen to me, it can happen to you. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. And to me, it doesn't have to be perfect. Imperfect can be exactly what it needs to be for, to fill you up, you know? So do you have any final thoughts that you want to share? No, no, no final thoughts. You asked a lot of great questions. It was fun catching up with you. And, yes. and I, I hope I brought some value and enough of an interesting, you know, way to tell the stories of the life that I lived so far to be of some value. But it was a lot of fun and, and yeah. happy to do it. And hopefully we'll have an opportunity to do it again. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian, for your time and sharing your amazing stories with us and your insightful words of encouragement to just keep moving forward. And when you have your back up against a wall of a mountain and there's no cell service, maybe just giving it up. <laughs> Absolutely. No question. Yeah, no, this has been truly my pleasure. And uh, it was a fun conversation. Yeah. And um, hopefully, hopefully it comes out across that way because it was fun for me. It was fun for me too. Thank you so much. Thank you for spending time listening to our conversation. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe, like, and share so we can reach more listeners with our powerful messages. And stay tuned to hear about our affiliates and recommendations. They change from episode to episode.